You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. I want to welcome you to chapel this morning. And I have the distinct honor of introducing our speaker for the morning, whom I met just a few short minutes ago, actually. But in the strangest sort of way, I feel that perhaps our paths have crossed before, not in person, of course, but through a shared love of many of the same great writers and artists and thinkers. Our reading lists are a sort of roundabout hello, a prolonged welcome, maybe even an invitation to friendship. Dr. Houghton Wilson is a prolific writer and an accomplished scholar, having written extensively on Dante, Dostoevsky, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Walker Percy, Flannery O'Connor, and many others. She's an unwavering advocate for Christian liberal arts education and for the central role literature plays in making us alive to the verities of the human heart, to the mystery of human personhood, and to the length and depth and breadth of human experience. To become aware of the possibility of the search is to be on to something. Not to be on to something is to be in despair, writes Walker Percy in The Moviegoer. Well, Dr. Houghton Wilson is indeed on to something. She is here this morning to share part of her search with us for these couple of days in which we enter into our search experience to celebrate the academic life at Asbury. So after a time of worship and prayer, please welcome Dr. Houghton Wilson to Asbury. And after the chapel address, please join her and others for a chapel talk back in, at 11 o'clock in the gray room in the cafeteria. So uh, once the, the band is uh, going to lead us in worship for a few minutes, we do look forward to, to hearing your message this morning. So thank you for being here. Good morning, Asbury. Okay, I will be reading Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of God. Good morning. I'm so grateful to be here today, especially in the midst of Holy Week is just starting. And we, as Dr. Strait said earlier in a prayer, we are an Easter people. And we are an Easter people who have to go through what it means to follow Jesus to the cross. And keeping those two realities in tension Before I came here, I started reading a little bit about your founder, John Wesley Hughes, and the reasons that he founded Asbury to be a real salvation school, to be somewhere where you could hear God's voice and you could say, here I am. 
I'm the Lord's servant. When I meditate on that, the first person that comes to mind is Mary. And for many of us, Mary has become too familiar of a story. We hear her words and we don't, our, our spines don't pring, you know, prickle, we don't understand the magnitude of what it is that she's doing in this moment. So we have to reset the scene for a second. We have to understand that Mary is not only a young girl, she's a young Jewish girl in Palestine, occupied by one of the greatest empires in the world, Rome. When Howard Thurman in the 1940s talked about Jesus came to those with their backs against the wall, he was talking about Mary. He was talking about people who had no power. You might think that describes you now, or you might think of those who that describes, but it came to the powerless, to those who had no voice, who had no say. And he's calling her to something that seems beyond her. And yet she responds, here I am. I am the Lord's servant. How do we get to such a place that we can respond likewise, that we can feel as though if we don't have power through the Lord's grace, we can exert his power in the world? That we can constantly remember that tension of, I am just an instrument, I am empty, I have empty hands, I have nothing to give, and yet still be ready to speak when he calls us to to be able to act when he calls us to, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to be those who bring about justice in the world. I want to look at Mary's song because if I imagine myself in her place, the first thing that I would do would not be to sing a song. I don't know about the rest of you, but if you were in that moment and God is asking this huge, huge task for you to step up to, would you sing? How many of you read poetry? Just show of hands. And then how many of you read poems and the minute you read it, you fully understand everything that it just said? Everyone should be shaking their heads. When you read poetry, it puts you in this place of humility because what poetry is trying to do is it's trying to name things that feel like they are beyond us. It's trying to give words to things that are mysterious. Mary here is echoing all the great poems and songs of her tradition because she's trying to understand something that feels beyond her comprehension. She can't merely give a bumper sticker answer to what the Lord is doing in her life. If Joseph, Joseph asked her to explain what's happening, what does she say? When Mary reaches the house of Elizabeth, what should she say? She doesn't know. And instead, she sings a song. Dana Joya, who's this amazing poet, he says, the incarnation required an ode, not an email. I think that about sums it up. It required a song. Where was she going to get all the words to the songs? Here, she echoes those who have sung before her. If you look back into 1 Samuel, you get to hear someone else that she's referring to, Hannah. Did you know that Hannah in the Old Testament is the first woman to, actually not even woman, the first person to mention the Messiah? 
to mention the anointed. And she does so when God takes her barren womb and brings a child. And she starts to prophesy, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies. Her entire song is laying the groundwork hundreds of years before Mary to give Mary voice to name what is happening for Mary. And Hannah says in the final line of her song, he has exalted his anointed one. It's the first time we have mention of what the anointed is, and hundreds of years later, it comes to fulfillment in Mary. How does she draw on the right words? How does she know these things? Because she knew them within her. If you go and look at examples of Mary, if you walk through an art museum, you'll often see her painted holding what? A book. When my daughter was asked to play Mary in the Christmas pageant this last year, um, they wanted her to be folding laundry when the angel came, which horrified me, (laughs) right? Mary was not folding laundry when the angel came. First of all, she was a young girl and uh, she didn't have a household of three like I do. That's what I would be doing right now if the angel came to me. But that's not what Mary's doing. They show her as, and this is anachronistic, of course, they show her as reading a word of God because that's what she was doing. She had to meditate and treasure the words of God so that when God spoke to her, she could hear him and understand him and she could respond with his words back. She's imitating the words of Hannah in her song when she gives her, my soul magnifies the Lord. Hannah's not the only one who sings this song. We go back to Judges and we look at Deborah. When Deborah has victory over their enemies, she says, blessed be Jael among women, which of course is the same line that Elizabeth uses, blessed are you among women, Mary. It's an echo of the Old Testament. It's a fulfillment of the things that were prophesied. Jael was you know, a victor because she took a tent peg and put it through, you know, Sisera's head, the general. And the gift of victory was given to the woman at this moment. And Deborah says, you have crushed his head, which of course is a fulfillment of Genesis, right? You have crushed his head. And now Mary is drawing on the same song. Elizabeth is drawing on the same song to say that he has brought down those from their thrones and he has lifted up the humble. All the world is included in these women's songs. They're moving from their particular situation and they're showing how God is making an example of them that applies to everyone. When Mary says from now on, generations will call me blessed, she's not limiting that adoration to herself. She's remembering Jael. She's remembering the women that came before her, and she's also pointing to the women of the future that God is also going to work through and call blessed. Mary's song is then possible because she knew God's word, and when he called to her, she knew how to participate prophetically, poetically. She knew the prophet's commands to give what the Lord requires of his people. Mary's poem turns the world on its head before Jesus even arrives. She knows he's coming. She knows his word. When the word is going to become flesh within her, she is already filled with his words. This young girl 
is ready to turn the world upside down. She's ready to be the instrument of God's plan. And the only way that she can do that is by knowing the words that came before her. In Greek, this, this verse where it describes the humble state of his servant is actually much more powerful. In Greek, the humble state of his servant is the humiliation of his doulas. His doula is where we get that word from. Here's Mary, about to be the mother of God, calling herself a doula, someone who brings about birth. She is lowering herself even in this moment in which God is exalting her to say, Lord, I am going to be your doula. You looked down on the humiliation of your servant, and you lifted me up. Now, most of us are not going to ever pen words that are going to remember thousands and thousands of years later. We're not writing those kinds of poems. I wish we were. God can work through us, of course, to do things along those lines. But here, the reason her words continue to speak to us and that we can continue to remember them is because she saw her place in a much bigger story. She saw her place in this entire story. And she knew that not only did it begin before her, but it's going to continue after her. And we're doing the same thing here every time we meet. Every time we meet, we're answering that call, Lord, I am your servant. I'm going to know your words so that I can speak when you ask me to have a voice. I'm going to know your words so that I can praise you when you speak into my life. I'm going to know your word so that when you call me to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly, I am there and I am ready. And not only me, but the next generation and the next generation. We're in this place now because in 1890, John Wesley Hughes said, here I am. And if there's going to be anyone in this room in the next 50 to 100 years, it's going to be because you right now just said, Lord, here I am. I hope that we can all answer that call in our lives as we leave this place and continue coming back. I'm going to invite the band up at this moment to lead us in worship, and I hope that your response in song is, Lord, here I am. <laughs>